You're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines and you're with Scotty and you're also now with Gillar. Gillar is a ULEI Gonroy man from uh, up north around the border country of New South Wales and Queensland. Uh, welcome, Gillar. How yeah, are you? Good to be with you. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, tell us about your, your country. Ah, my country. My country is like a desert right now and um, just watching rivers dry and um, animals just dying of starvation, um, thirst, and um, those monstrous fences that they've created now in Queensland and New South Wales called, um, what do they call them? Um, um, they cluster fencing. They're massive fencing. Cluster fencing. Yeah. I've never heard and, of that. Um, <clears throat> and they're designed um, to supposedly keep their animals in there, in where they're supposed to be. But part of the problem is they're electrifying a lot of the bottom to stop anything digging underneath them. And they're actually killing guanas and uh, kidnas and, um, and of course, there are thousands and thousands of kangaroos and emus that um, are normally, uh, you know, travel from one point to another. They're now being caught in these cluster fences and they're dying in a large number. So there's a mass extinction going on in Queensland uh, and northern New South Wales um, where they're starting to build cluster fencing around just north of Walgut and up the rivers. And, of course, all the trees, when you get out there, the uh, trees that normally last for about at least 15 years um, without water um, are starting to, their leaves are starting to turn brown. Um, our native pine, the cypress pine, is starting, they're, they're dead all through the ridges around Lightning Ridge. Um, and the river system, where there's mass erosion along the banks because there's not enough moisture in the rivers. Um, and they're starting to fall into the rivers and clog the rivers. So we, we've got a disaster out there that, um, that you know, unless you live there and, and you travel the country, you, you, you won't see the extent of the devastation. Mm. And is there is there record of, of talk of something like this happening in the past? Well, um, I guess, you know, historically, if you look back, we've survived, you know, we're the only race of people, I guess, who survived two ice ages, um, as well as, I, I guess, long spells of drought. Um, but unfortunately, you know, everything is complicated now because you, you don't know how much man has contributed and you don't know how much of it is natural, so... You know, there's so there's those two things working, and unfortunately, uh, it's pretty difficult to pinpoint with any degree of accuracy um, who's contributing what and what's natural and what's man-made. So, you know, these are some of the unknown uh, issues around what we're experiencing. But I dare say that, you know, the the mass mining, the mass disruption of planet Earth, and um, and of course the farming, the knocking down of the trees around the mass extinction of animals around the world and fish, um, I think is sort of contributing to upsetting the balance. Oh, I think it'd be fair to say it ain't going to help. It's not going to help. No, no. Um, <clears throat> so I guess from what you've said there, um, Aboriginal ways of living and, and First Nations all around the world really, really can teach the, the industrialised societies of about needs. I mean, what does a what does a group of humans actually need? Well, I think they need sustainability and understand uh, nature. Um, unfortunately, in the Judeo-Christian world, you know, the 
the biblical teaching says that man has dominion over over nature, and I think that's where they went wrong right from the beginning because they separated themselves um, from nature. And as a consequence, you know, nature um, is there to serve them and they can manipulate it how they want. And unfortunately, nature has ways of being able to find um, pathways to rejuvenation and uh, nature will fight back. Mother Nature is very, very sound. Um, and what a lot of people don't understand is the relationship between, you know, nature and Father Sky. So, you got, you know, Mother Earth and Father Sky. And unless you understand the dynamics of that like we do in our teachings as Aboriginal people, um, then you know that uh, old Father Sky up there, he's going to help Mother Nature um, somewhere along the line. And um, it's not, it won't be nice for the humankind, let me tell you. Well, yeah, maybe that's global warming, eh? Well, it's global warming and, you know, uh, I notice that, you know, the country they're really attacking, Mother Nature and Old Father Sky are attacking is the USA. It's quite interesting to see the mass fires and, um, you know, the the, the frozen, that, well, I think they're going to be frozen out again this year in North America. Um, and when you look at the hurricanes that are happening right now, um, so yeah, there's, there's they're, they're, they're identifying America as a place to hammer first. Yeah, not a bad option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So again, you know, I'm coming from the the perspective that industrialised Western European society and and culture, wherever it is around the world, is is a bit broken and is eating the earth mm-hmm. and its people. Um, so I'd like in that context to, to just explore a little bit about about other ways, about older ways of, of organising ourselves because it really, the whole problem with the industrial Western civilization is that it's organised badly. Hmm. Um, so I use the show a lot to, to explore different forms of organisation and, and, and just to get, get people's imagination ticking over on, on what might be good alternatives. Now... Um, <laughs> You're sitting in front of me representing the oldest, one of the oldest cultures on earth, um, which is just an incredible, incredible thing. You guys clearly have some uh, some stuff to teach us. Um, what, what uh, how things, how were things organised before 1788? Well, the, the I think we need to start um, at the birthplace of our society and. Um, and so when, when the creation occurred for us, um, there were different linguistical groups established, there were relationships established. Uh, we all um, ascribe to you know, the uh, continental common law that um, is formed from the creation, and that's crisscrosses all around this country. They're our song lines, they're our stories. Um, and... Um, and, and these stories carry with it the creation stories. And, uh, and of course, um, when they created that, they were, we, we had very defined areas of where our boundaries were. And um, so one mob couldn't go and in invade another because it was against the rules for us, yeah? Unlike Europe, you know, you, people just went mad over there and um, in those early days. But here, we, our laws were set in, you know, set there for us and the boundaries were there. Now, I think one of the essential elements of a sustainable society is understanding the limitations that your your area of land can provide for you. 
And so um, the way in which we controlled um, our environment was essentially one where we understood that there had to be a population restriction. Yeah, and so uh, the testosterones of the men had to be controlled somehow. And of course, women had to have um, mechanisms in place to not fall pregnant. But, it, you know, a lot of people say that <coughs> we, um, our population was pretty limited and uh, we didn't have much. And, um, and you know, um, unlike the Western society, um, you know, they had cows, they had goats, they had sheep and all that sort of stuff to, uh, to milk um, for their children. But here we didn't have those things. It's pretty difficult to put a baby in a kangaroo pouch and, you know, expect a little one to suckle on, a, on the teat of a, of a kangaroo. <laughs> That'd be a right. bit of an odd idea uh, yeah, too, really. And, and, um, <laughs> and certainly, you know, the old emu don't have many uh, teats on it, so it's pretty, pretty rugged to expect that we'd be able to find an animal to offer alternate milks to a mother. Um, so, pop, you know, we, sure, we experienced drought, but one of the things that we had rules about that, you know, about pregnancy and about birth and so on before when they were coming into droughts, the old men knew, they understood all the animals, the birds, the insects, and they told us all the story of what's coming. And so if you're, if you're taught how to be observant, within nature, then nature will tell you everything that's going to happen. And so you, you prepare yourself accordingly. Um, but the key thing was um, there was no need because everything we needed was there. Yeah, it was provided for us. And um, we didn't have four seasons. We had many seasons. And um, you knew from time, um, from the beginning, what what you could eat, what you couldn't, how you could uh, get rid of toxins out of out of um foods that you could eat once you got rid of the toxins, but there were methods in which to extract that toxin before you eat it. Um, yeah, so we, we had a, a very, very very sort of noble society, which um, where unlike what they were saying about us running around naked and starving and all that sort of thing, when you look at the original pictures that they took from the eighteen mid-1880s, um, you will find men of high degree and men with great physiques and women who were very well, you know, postured and um, uh, with very um, strong children. And I think um, um, this misrepresentation of, you know, the noble savage out there sort of dying in a desolate land, um, <laughs> you know, is, is, is uh, a story and a myth that's been promoted by uh, Westerners for their own ends. Yeah, bunch of dudes with English goggles on. Yeah. Yes. Um, so <laughs> here you are in in this land of abundance, really. Um, how do you see that contrasting to to the way the English had organised themselves? Was there much abundance going on over there? Yeah, there was plenty of abundance, but it all went to the Queen, whoever was king or the Queen. Um, you know, the poor old buggers out there, the serfdom, they had to, you know, pay their dues and... Um, um, like, like it, it's pretty difficult to, you know, when you, when you read English history, um, and even, you know, going back to the Roman Empire, you, you start reading all that stuff, and you think, you know, what sort of people lived in that world, you know, and, and so, you know, if you look at the descendants of those people now, especially the, you know, the aristocracy and the upper class, um, you, you can see why we're all stuffed up, 
you know, because everybody expects others to work for you. You're the you're the upper class. You're the aristocracy. You're you know you're the bourgeois, mm-hmm. uh, Z, and so. You you feel that the people lesser than you um, have an obligation to serve you, and um, and that sort of came with the English, I think, and the Spanish and the French, and you know when I look at the the garbs that they had in France and and in England, you know, heavens, they'd they'd have fitted right into society today, but only they'd all be in a madhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I guess if you look at the the enclosures, there was. There was some commons back then in the Charter of the Forests and things. Mm. There was rights for the common people, but over time they enclosed that so that yeah. what we've wound up with now is is we can't get anything without having money to no. swap for it. So yeah. all of our needs have now become monetary needs and that traps us into having to go to work and all of that stuff. But um, how much work did the old people do? Um, as much as they needed. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was pretty limited, um, but mo- most uh, look um, in in traditional society in the ancient societies. You know, having gone through ceremonies myself, both with my own mob, the old fellows in the you know um, late fifties, sixties, and right through for about you know twelve, uh, fifteen years, learning from. You know, my old people in my country who um, went through ceremony in the 1920s, 1918, uh, 1912, 1922, 1932, 1936, and 1942 was the last big ceremony. They were the big ceremony dates that I'm, I was alerted to. And um, so there were a lot of people at home who are uh, in Walgut, Lightning Ridge, Colorindabri, Kaduga, Brewarrenor area, including St. George and Queensland and so on. A lot of these people, there were a lot more men out there who had gone through ceremony than they cared to, you know, admit. Um, And there were also women who held those stories and songs. The unfortunate thing for us, though, is that a lot of that stuff, uh, they didn't pass on the songs. Um, um, They they sang stuff to sleep. They didn't sing it down. and they, they took all of it underground. And so when you learn from those old fellows, you know, those old people back then, um, as I was, they were, I was lucky because, you know, they were born in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s. Um, and they, you know, a lot of them ended up dying in the, you know, 50, from the 50s on, those old men started dying. And these were grandfathers, great-grandfathers. And, uh, they, and when you think about it, um, we skip generations when we teach. So, you know, a father will not teach his son. It'll be the grandfather or, or someone who's equivalent to the grandfather. And um, and so you always skip that generation. Uh, fathers are too close, so the old fellows are, are much more separate. But when you when you go back in time like that there, so you have someone's, you know, the, 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 the life... Um, and so I'm, I was taught by people who, was taught, who were taught... Um, by people who'd never seen a white man in their lives, yeah. And so I was taught by men um, who were taught by those uh, fellows through their grandfathers. And so this whole um, passing on of knowledge, you know, and and, and, and old ways, uh, the, the proper ways, um, are very much in the forefront and they're still alive in a lot of, in many parts of this country. And that's what's causing a lot of angst and, Frustration because um, those who still have that knowledge, 
are, are sitting there and watching their country being consumed by this consumers, consumerism. And, um, and how do we combat that consumer sort of um, state? And unfortunately, you know, Western society um, have lost their connection to humanity. You know, humanity to them is money now. It's, it's you know, making sure that you're keeping up with, your, you know, the fashions and making sure that you all drink at, the, you know, you okay, there's a fancy little coffee shop down the corner. It's marvellous to see all these people standing on the streets waiting for a cup of coffee out of a window, you know. It's, it's, it's amazing. It, it, um, yeah, talk about regimentation and, you know, and, and, and a robotic life. It, I, I don't know how they can live like that. But anyway, it's to each their own. Yeah, yeah. Following the path of least resistance, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's easy enough. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know. It's 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 like, I don't know why they're bothering to develop mechanical robots, you know. You've already got them. Just look at the streets. Just look at the <laughs> coffee shops. Well, that's, a, that's what they're farming. <laughs> um, so the... the Going back a little ways there, um, you mentioned that there was like a, a national a national web of, of storylines or mm. songlines mm. that formed a, a common law. Mm. So this is like, and I'm sort of guessing a bit here, is this like a, a, just a national set of ethics, principles and values that everybody stuck to? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you reach... The, the high, high levels, you know, where you're up there with the men of high degree, and and they, and they know all this business. No matter where you go in the country, you can read signs that were left behind by the old people. They were left there because that's you know we we didn't have writings, you know. Um, we had iconic um, uh, materials. There were there were different um, icons, um, cultural icons that that exist around the country. Um, there is land formation that you can read, and you know, and you go, you just have a look at that land formation. And um, um, I've I've not known any of the ones who have come across to my country not to be able to read our country, even though they've never been here before in their lives. Um, and likewise, you know, I, I having gone through business in Central Australia and and uh, learning a lot from other people and further. South Australia and NT and North Queensland, um, you begin to see symbols, and uh, those symbols are, are very much um, um, a central feature to that uh, continental common law. And so, when you see those uh, um, those symbols, uh, then you understand where you are. You understand the law, and of course, everybody has to observe those laws. Um, it's it it is a pity, um, quite frankly, that we're not teaching that enough to our kids. Getting them out in the bush and teaching them um, all those symbols, teaching them how to read the country, uh, understand what the bush represents, understand that humanity that 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 is Australia really. Um, and I think you know, as someone said to me the other day, what would be the um, ideal role model in terms of introducing Aboriginal cultural. Uh, knowledge into um, into non-Aboriginal schools or modern-day schools, and I said you'd have to divide. You'd have to devote one day to just taking kids into the bush, walk them in the bush, and have someone who, like an ecologist, who can tell them about those bushes and tell them understand what they are. But at the same time, you 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 have to teach them about that. 
you know, go back to kindergarten and they teach that song, you know, or she swallowed a fly and then she swallowed a bird and then she swallowed a cat and then she <laughs> swallowed something else to go on. You know, so if you go on that little little song, um, then that's what they got to teach the kids out there on the bush. You know, you got to get out there and teach them. Okay, if you do, you do this here to this thing, well then you're going to impact on another because you know that's either a food or that little ant there cleans up all the mess and rubbish on the ground. So, you know, there are our garbage collectors. There are other garbage collectors around, like the old guana as well, and so. You've got to you you've got to be able to uh, teach people about how nature works, you know, in the real world, so that um, you know you might be able to get rid of some of the dumpsters if we start behaving ourselves and um, um, and not make all these artificial um, things that we de- make out of plastics. You know, we can get rid of it. Yeah, and poison as well. Oh, there's that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a very interesting one. Um, and um, so let's let's have a look. You've, you've got um, you've got clans essentially is, mm. is your, your 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 structure. What, what's a clan structure generally? Well, a clan structure is within like we where I come from with the Ulia and both Gumroy, um, we have four clans uh, cl- clan system, um, and each of those clan systems the the four. Um, then you know the whitefellas come up with this word called moieties. Um, and a moiety basically is dividing the world into two. In our world, we say Guigla and Guaymutan uh, in my society. Uh, you've got Yiritja and Dua in other places like in Arnhem Land. And so you have these two divisional names and each of those clans fit into either one of those. Um, the white um, anthropologists that I've seen who've written about this um, just call, basically say, well, you either lo- belong to the dark or you belong to the light. And and so we, we to, to simplify it, um, these iconic um, um, moiety divisional uh, breakup um, consists of um, um, day and night. And so when you look at the real world, um, you have functional animals and birds uh, reptiles, fish, who operate during the daytime in the light. But then there are other animals who can't deal with light. And so they, so you have another world operating there out there at night. And so this is part of the moiety division. So um, so the people who belong to the light side, um, they, they're the people who live in that day, in that light world. And then you've got the others who live in the dark world. And, um, and of course, you have the world divided into those two parts. And so, unlike us in the human race, we also have that connection because they're totemic associations. But importantly, um, within that four um, clan system, you've got two belonging to day and two belonging to night, or whatever it is, wherever you are in the country. Um, And then you then have another division there. And so you have, you know... um, um, you break it up into ecosystems, and we we simplify it. You only own Gomeroy. We 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 um, make it very easy to, for people to understand, because you either be, you belong to those ecosystems, and each of those uh, four clan groups belong to those ecosystems. Yeah, and so you belong to rocky country, you belong to um, lignum country, which is the floodplains, and you know, and then you've got the other ones that feed the floodplains where the swamps run run through from rivers across country and feed into the floodplains. 
Um, and of course, then you have the islands within that area um, where, you know, that's high country, even though it's, um, it looks level, but it's not. <laughs> and, um, you know, floodwaters don't get onto that. So it's a refuge like the, like the hills. Um, and so these four, four ecosystems um, have life of its own yeah, within each of those ecosystems and different animals and different birds and people belong to each of those ecosystems and they all have responsibility for each other. And that's where you have your totemic connections as well once you're locked into those, uh, those four divisions. Um, we, we call our division Nyunga, Nyunga is a, is a Kurijong tree. Um, which is on the rocky ridges around Lightning Ridge and up towards St. George and Durrambandi in Queensland, uh, where the ridges are, stony ridges. We call them morellas, the stony ridges. And then you have the um, other, um, where it feeds off um, into the river system. Off those ridges, we have a, um, there what we call Bibble, um, uh, Murugu Bibble. That's the, the twin trees. They don't look like twins, but uh, one is a river, re- the red box, uh, the black box, sorry, and uh, black box tree and the um, and the Bala tree. And then we have the big, sw- then of course we have the swampland, uh, um, that's the swampland areas that feed down onto the onto the open country and where the floodplains are. And uh, that's uh, called the Miri. Uh, the Miria, and that's the lignum bushes, and that's all the swamplands um, down across the river country, and then out onto those um, like island refuges they call them uh, today, and that's what we call Guri, and uh, there's a native orchid there, and um, and so we all um, we belong to those 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 systems, and and every Aboriginal person belongs to three of the four. They have a connection to three of the four. And um, and then that sets up your marriage systems as well. So it's a it's a pretty complex system. Um, mm. But w- you know when you know it and you live it, well, it's pretty easy to understand. And you can't understand why people don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a there's one thing in there. Well, there's probably quite a lot of things in there. But yeah. One thing that um, really jumps out at me that might be quite difficult for for Westerners to figure out is that you're saying these people belong to the land. Yeah. 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 You're born into that. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we own the land on, on this side of the brain twist, I guess. And uh, Well, we're just visitors. How can you own something when you're just a visitor? Um, but we, we have ownership in the sense that we have obligations, yeah? And, um, and so this whole question of ownership, you know, derives from an English word somewhere or or French or, you know, Latin, uh, I don't know. Um, but um, people have to label things and in Western society. And, and unfortunately, you know, when you label something like that in a Western society, uh, it doesn't fit within, you know, our, um, our societies at all. And, um, and this is where um, there's a lot of confusion about ownership comes into play. And, and of course, you know, here in Australia, of course, they abuse the English language like uh, I don't know what. Um, but, you know, so I hate the word custodian. I, I really do. It, it really disturbs me to no end when I hear people say they're custodians. For heaven's sake, you know, you know, I, I, I haven't adopted anything, you know, and I'm not a custodian of anything. I'm not a guardian of anything, you know. I belong and um, and so the so there's this 
misunderstanding about what belonging is and and what obligation is and responsibility is mm. and um and so if you know we certainly we certainly don't want to label anything and we we will resist you know the the being forced into saying that we own something ownership just comes from a you know from a property aspect and unfortunately, Western society are hung up on ownership, and um, and so then they, you know, engage all these policemen to protect that which they steal from us, and um, and that's what we have in this country. We have ownership, but it's misplaced, it's misdirected, and then they employ policemen and armies to protect what they steal. It's a, you know, it's sort of, yeah, that that's one that makes us a little bit edgy because we can't understand it. I, I don't. Uh, I, like, I've been to university and I've done studies, but I still can't understand how they deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Look, a lot of us don't figure it out either. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, they say you, you, you mob, you know, belong to the, what do they call it, flower power mob, and you haven't come into the real world yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's great when the real world's totally imaginary. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, well, that's a problem when, you know, children of the real world start rejecting it, isn't it? Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what did Bob Marley say? You can fool some people sometimes, but you can't fool, can't all, fool the people all the people all the time. Exactly yes. right. Yeah. You, uh, you want to have a break? Are you right to keep going? Or? No, you're right. Yep, all right, beautiful. Well, let's, uh, let's get on with it. Um, so is is there? So you've described the the sort of there's your yeah clan systems of people who belong to a, a certain set of land within mm. set boundaries, mm. and is there like we've got local government, and then state government, and national government. Mm, yeah, so no, you poor you've described a, a a national set of organisation of some sort, mm. and then there's a local one. Is there anything in between that, or is it just straight from one to the other? No. It's um, we we all know who we are. Yeah, we know what we what our obligations are to each other as family, and um, and family, by the way, is an extended, you know, to uh, to nature because there are totemics totems out there, and so you know we have to be very careful. And so there are some similarities with with uh, Buddhism where you've got a you've got obligations to your totems, and so you can't destroy their ecosystems and. And their 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 own environment, their living environment, uh, because um, essentially what you're doing is that you're impacting on your own family, right? and um, and so this is the spiritual connection, and and so um, you know we you can't you can't read spirituality from a book, yeah, and you can't write about spirituality in a book, um, you can't sit down there and pray for spirituality, yeah, you either have it or you don't, um, and so. I say if you have to read about spirituality from a book, well, then you've got big problems, yeah. Um, I think you need to go and lock yourself in a dark room and find yourself, yeah. But make sure you've got all mirrors when you turn the light on so you can see one person there. <laughs> and then start asking who the hell is that person? Um, and where did that person come from? Whereas, you know, we know who we are. And, um, you know, the, the thing is that we, you know, it's, there's a saying in Western society, you can't choose your family. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. In our society, you, um, well, you know, that's that's a real thing. You know, everything's preordained before you get here. And, um, and so you live within that world that you are. However, my grandmother, 
on my dad's side used to always say, you know, we, when, as he got older and part of the teachings was, you know, driving around in the townships, she would, um, she'd point out and say, look, see that fellow over there? He with that woman over there? Or see that fellow there? Look, him and that girl had a baby and that baby don't belong to them. You watch that child grow up, that child will reject them. Yeah? And so the people are walking on country and going in wrong places and picking up wrong children, picking up the spirits. And so we, we have very strong um, um, thoughts about those things and uh, we, we have um, reasons to understand why um, you know, children's behaviour has changed so significantly. And, um, and so our, our society was very much regimented into a very strict, orderly um, set of rules and were governed by those rules and were governed by the old ones who knew the an ancestry of those people. And so when you look at the genealogy, and one, one thing that Native Title has done, um, and, um, and a lot of people say it's the only bloody good thing it's ever done, right, <laughs> is the fact that it enabled some white fella to come along and spend all that time putting, piecing together the family history and family genealogy. And, you know, there, there are some who, who um, don't want to see the bloody thing. Yeah? There are others who are anxious to see it. And then when they do get it, they're shocked at how close they are in terms of their relationship, blood relationship to each other, and they've had children. Um, that's a shocking revelation because they don't take notice to people, you know, when they say, you shouldn't be with that one, you know, that, or that girl there, she shouldn't be with that fella. Yeah, they, their grandmothers, uh, you know, sisters or great-grandmothers were sisters. And they don't understand this, you know, the fifth and seventh generation removed before you can marry into family. Um, and, you know, like, okay, that's why you see the, you know, the, the mongrels within, you know, um, the aristocracy. You know, they all bred into each other. Um, and so they're all screwed up, that, that, that mob. Um, but then we have a we have a situation that has emerged in Australia right now, and it's and those government policies are forcibly re removing children, uh, separated them, so they didn't understand um, the 1970s. Um, uh, what do they call it? Um, resettlement program in New South Wales, in particular, um, removed Aboriginal people on a promise of a better better life. Like you know, they took them from Brewarrina, Walgett, Corinbri. You know, Burke and relocate them to Dubbo, Orange, you know, Albury, um, uh, Albury and Wagger and Newcastle and and Western Sydney um, with the promise of a better life. But, you know, they, what they did was that they broke up our society. They broke up the knowledge and, the, and, and an ordered society. And then those people come home, you know, two or three generations later uh, back into their communities because they know that that's their roots. Um, but when they get back there, Pardon me. They they forget about um, you know the rules of uh, of engaging you know with the opposite sex, and so they end up marrying wrong mob and wrong skin. And and um, m my grandmother always said we're going to have big problems in the future because we're not going to be able to control those kids because those kids don't belong to those parents. Mm, and I guess it, it's something that would have been paid attention to in the in that system of family and, and belonging to the different things and who can marry who and stuff. Oh, that was very very strictly regulated. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, because you've got a, a regulated population on a on a set piece of land, it would have 
yeah. over the years become very apparent. Yeah. Well, you know, our promising system of marriage system was uh, very much um, one where we made sure that, you know, they tried, they promised in during ceremonies, they would promise um, children, their, their children to um, places in other tribes and other 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 clan groups in you know, of, of other tribes um, who were distant to us, you know, and so... Um, when you look around um, the old trade routes and where we used to go for ceremony, you will, you can always connect in family from there to, you know, to those places. And these are places in far off distances. And um, and of course, it kept the blood very strong, kept the the genetics very strong. Um, now we we just you know have a have a society that um, that's basically in ruin. And um, and I think. You know, I think what we have to do as Aboriginal people, we have to take, you know, cog- be, be cognizant of this, and of course try and turn that around as much as we can and get back to our way. Um, because if we don't do that, um, you know, then you know our population is pretty small you know, in reality, and so you know the the um, the policies of, of you know, de-Aboriginalising people and breeding the colour out of them also contributed. So we ended up with, you know, the the lowest rung of the ladder of white society, um, as they, you know, the old people used to call them. Uh, you know, we ended up with the dirt and um, the dust that got kicked out and and, um, and swept out, and we ended up with the dregs, you know. but uh, And so um, those people had to find somewhere to live and, and partner with someone, and they, they did with Aboriginal people. And... Um, Mind you, I must admit, some of those dregs turned out to be bloody wonderful people, um, and um, and you know they and they they raised their children accordingly, and um, and did change. They they did change within, but they lived within or adjacent to Aboriginal communities with their Aboriginal partners, and um, and they did a bloody good job. Um, I must admit, I, I I know a lot of people in that situation, and so. So those that you know, white society cast off um, from within, cast off some very good people, very nice people, and uh, people who had a lot to contribute, and uh, and of course they 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 did help Aboriginal people in the gen- the, the extended families as well um, within Aboriginal society. Um, so they were, so it paid off, you know, in a number of ways. Um, but what what I'm I'm concerned about now is you know you get these you know the 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 bolt type people who are on national television getting all that coverage all the time, um, having a free and open range shot at us um, about you know oh that person don't look Aboriginal you know well then for God's sake they need to look at their own history of policy making in this country which they were voting for by the way you know and their parents were voting for. And they were de-Aboriginalising people. And, um, like, I have nieces and nephews who are blonde, blue-eyed, you know. And my mum's, you know, very dark. And um, I used to laugh at her sometimes. I said, Mum, you know, you walk along the street with your own grandkids who are blonde and blue-eyed. And I bet all them old white people say, oh, look at that old nanny, black nanny, looking after those <laughs> little white kids, you know. It, and, and I was thinking to myself, they don't realise that your own blood, <laughs> your granddaughters, you know, and grandchildren. And... And so, yeah, we, we, we have this situation. But but now that they've, 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 they've achieved, in essence, you know, what those white policies were about and about trying to breed the colour out of them, but they didn't take the Aboriginality away from them, that inner spirit of them, of them you know, and that, that um, connection that they have 
they have an instinctive connection and it's a very strong one. Um, and so that, because of the colour of their skin, you know, and the colour of their ear and the colour of their eyes, doesn't negate their Aboriginality in any way, shape or form. Um, and so I, I think what we need to do is take a restock and go back and really have a look at how things are. And you can't help it if they don't know their language, they don't know their connection to country. But what we can do is organise it so that they, they do get connected back. They're Aboriginal just as much as anyone else and um, um, who, who come from that bloodstock. And, um, and I, you know, I, I, I love to see the day where we have more ceremonies, much wider ceremonies, uh, more dancing, more singing our way. Um, out there in the bush and, and we get out there and we protect those places and we start doing those things. Um, that's our culture. That's who we are. And um, and if you don't want to do that, well, then assimilate into Western society and, and, and do your thing. We can have the best of two worlds and nobody should deny us that. Yeah. Well, it's not too much to ask. No, it's not. No. Pretty easy. I do it pretty successfully. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of stuff going on and, and being researched into um, what they call it, nature deficit disorder and <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot of things like that. Um, yeah. I think those people have big problems themselves. Yeah, yeah, but it's people trying to find a way to express that us industrial Westerners are not, um, are not getting into the bush enough and it just rubs mm. off on you. Yeah. And like you say, it... it it makes you connect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and I th I think you know, um, like I, I think one of the one of the good things about you know the the adverts for you know Nissan and um, and Toyota about their fancy cars and four wheel drives and getting out and taking their kids on bike rides and up in the mountains and down in the lakes and rivers fishing, because you can get there now. You've got these fancy four wheel drives, you know, with all this power and might and all the mod cons and so on. Um, you know, they, like, I, I think those adverts are um, uh, not only good for the cars, but it's good for nature because it's, it's saying that you can get out there mm. and take your kids fishing, take and your kids out there bike riding in the bush, you know, get out there. But one thing that's missing, and that is they need to get out there with people who can tell them story about country. Go out there with people who can tell them about nature and describe what it is and show mm. them what bush medicine can do and what food you can eat when you go out there, you know. Um, I, I really think that, you know, if we can start a new new venture-type um, holiday system that contributes to that, and then you can advertise all your fancy four-wheel drives in the world and camping gear and, you know, mm. mod cons and all that sort of stuff, you can take it, but you can also share it with nature and live within nature and learn a lot. And, and I, 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 I hope that that's what those... Um, guys are doing, you know, the, the in the subconscious mind of the of the television people who see those ads. Maybe that's uh, the hidden, you know, uh, mm. subconscious teachings that they're trying to do is get people back to the bush. Yeah, and I, you know, you got to congratulate the Nissans and the Toyotas for that. <laughs> <laughs> if if that's a hidden agenda, <laughs> you never know. Stranger things have probably happened. <laughs> well, I'd like now to. Um, I'll do a bit of a thought experiment. I mean, I think it was Oscar Wilde, and I'm going to forget this, but I'll give it a go anyway. <laughs> I think Oscar Wilde said that a map of the world without utopia on it is, is, isn't even worth glancing at because utopia is the place we're always trying to get, and it's where we're always getting to because 
we see something better, a better world, and we go for it and we get there and then we look out the window and go, oh, hang on a minute, that one's even better. So we just launch into the next one and start yeah. going there. And progress is the search for utopias. Um, You'd think? Well, that's what he thought. Oh, okay. oh, I thought it sounded snappy. Right. I actually remembered it. I was pretty happy with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you did well. <laughs> but um, so imagine, well, imagine something happened. I don't know what, and and Aboriginal sovereignty was granted. Mm. What what sort of system would would it look like? How would well, that manifest? Well, let me just correct something there. You don't get sovereignty granted to you. You either have it or you don't. Yeah, It's either part of your society or it's not. Um, and so when someone else comes in and assumes total control of you know, your sovereign inherent rights um, and, and maintains dominance over you through the power of a gun and through the might of military force, uh, be it in the police force or be it in the Navy or Air Force or Army, um, the fact is that um, you're you're using force to suppress, you know, the rights of others, and and you make laws accordingly, and you appoint judges to rule over those laws to keep it in place. Yeah. Um, in in like when when you talk about utopian society, um, I believe that we, you know, got it as close as you could possibly get in our ancient world. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't carry on sacrifices like other cultures around the world. You know, we didn't have to you know eat someone's heart or cut a heart out or you know bleed an animal um, uh, to you know to ward off the spirits or attract spirits. We didn't we didn't have to um, use blood rituals. Yeah, and all this idiotic nonsense about you know Daisy Bates talking about you know Aboriginal people being cannibals. Um, in in many many cases, I do know what they're talking about, and it certainly wasn't cannibalism. Um, well, it's so far removed. Um, but on the other side, um, you know, I'm my dad. I never grew up with my dad. Um, I knew my dad pretty well, but I never grew up with him. Um, but uh, you know, the, the the sort of little conversations we used to have when he was half charged, or you know. Um, because that was the best time to talk to him because he was much freer in mind when he did that. He was much more reserved and very much a, a worker. So um, when he was half charge, you knew he, you had his attention. Um, and um, that wasn't often because Dad was a shearer and he, he travelled a lot and he worked hard all the time. So he enjoyed his, his drink just like anybody who works hard in those industries. Um, but I remember having a conversation with him sitting on the steps of the Oasis Hotel at Walgett with a couple of other uncles. And um, and one one thing he said, you know, um, and I, it really, you know, back then it was, you know, I was part of the Black Power movement in the 70s and I went home and, and I got out of the car as soon as I saw him sitting on the street. They always got up there about 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, to see... They wanted to see who was walking around the streets in Walgett at that time and uh, see the passerbyers and people going to work. And they'd always be sitting there. And um, anyway, I, I, I pulled up and I said, I'd sat down with them and had a yarn and got into the um, into their habits, I suppose, of watching people <laughs> go by. Mm -hmm. um, but in the conversation, you know, they the dad said, to, you know, one of my great uncles said, um, Sonny, because they all called my dad Sonny, 
um, Sonny, you know, your son, he part of that black power, you know, in, in Sydney. Yeah, I know. He had to do something, I suppose. And, um, <laughs> he wouldn't become a shearer. Um, and, and anyway, Dad said, anyway, you know, think about them whitefellas, you know. Um, you know, the whitefellas come here and they wanted to give us a spirit, you know, in a book. Unfortunately, it landed on our doorsteps in a bottle, yeah, and it kept us happy. It kept us um, away from what the whitefellas were doing. We didn't see what they were doing, yeah. And that thing, you know, they so you keep you keep someone busy over you and happy, and you you know play around in the dark behind his back, and he's not observing what's going on. So, um, so it was a it was a weapon, you know. It was a weapon used against them. Um, and um, and they believed that, you know, okay, there's this um, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white fellow who was, you know, supposedly um, crucified, uh, and he died for our sins. And, and my father was saying, well, um, what sins did we commit against them white fellows? You know, so we're going to talk to that man and say, forgive us for what? Um, oh, they've got you there. You what, you got born. What did we do? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so you know, they, they, so they're having this discussion, and um, you know, and then and 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 then they they started, you know, advancing that discussion. It was quite it's quite interesting to listen to you know those fellows out there, and and um, and of course he he was saying you know they look at us. They said look, the only good thing they brought to us was maybe a bottle of metho or something or. Maybe a um, what's the name over there? A bottle of rum or sweet cherry port, um, and we can go down the river and have a lay down and charge on and just let the world go by, you know. And and Dad said, you know, they call us lazy and not developing our country. Our country was already developed. We had everything we needed. We didn't have to develop anything else. You know, we had obligations. Yes, we did, and we fulfilled those obligations. Um, but we didn't have to till the soil and grow something artificial because nature provided everything that we needed. And, um, and of course, you know, and then, and, and, he, and his other comments were that, um, you know, we had the utopian society already here, yeah? We had obligations, we had responsibilities, we had religious obligations to our culture, um, which we carried out regularly, um, teaching young people about society, about humanity, about themselves, and about the relationship between people. And we had plenty of leisure time. You know, look at all these white fellas. They work hard and hard all the time, making other people rich, yeah? Um, and then look forward to the day that they can have a holiday, three weeks or two weeks, yeah, with their kids, and have leisure time. But they're really reaching for the utopian society that we had, yeah? We didn't, we didn't operate by a clock. Yeah, time was ours and time was regulated, but you didn't worry about the time. You didn't worry about it, like Ellie rang you up this morning and said, "Oh, um, um, Michael, uh, yeah, about quarter past nine, and <laughs> yeah. I was having a cup of tea." And she said, "You've got to be there at nine o'clock." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. We said quarter past nine. Yep. And so that 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 time sort of interrupts man's ability to have leisure. Because it's in the, in his subconscious mind, like like I said earlier, 
he he operates in a robotic society, in a rom- remote society, you know, so that you switch it on. You have an alarm go off at 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock. You know, you've got to get up. You've got to get there to the train. You sleep in by five minutes or you, you know, you sit on the toilet for five minutes too long. You're going to miss that connection, that train, you know, or the bus. You know? And then you see them all running with their little thing, mm-hmm. running along, trying to get that bus, you know. Oh, shit, I sat on the toilet for too long. But, you know, um, so you, 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 so what we were being told and what I was being told then was that, you know, yes, we had obligations. Yes, we had um, things happen, but nature told us when things were happening. And it was a very regulated society, but you didn't need a clock. You didn't need a calendar to tell you when. You just read the stars, you read the birds, you read the, uh, you read the winds. These were our timekeepers. Sort of living inside a calendar, really. Absolutely. And, and of course, you always had that leisure. Yeah. And the, your, your number one primary objective was to look after the sacred places, the spirits, and also feed your family and make sure that they were protected. And protecting your family included all of nature. Mm-hmm. Wow. Doesn't sound bad. Doesn't sound bad at all. Well, that's the closest you'll get, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, unfortunately, we've, we've got all these bloody millions of white fellas peppered all around the place doing their crazy work thing and making a lot of money for the 1%. Yeah. How are we going to get back there from here? You're not. No, we're going to have to invent something new, perhaps. You are. It's, um, yeah. You're never going to get back there. Um uh, the closest thing you're going to is, is, look, you know, um, the world is overrun by people. Yeah, you've got too many people. Right? And, um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, they came up with a wonderful, you know, um, uh, invention when they invented the condom. And that um, I thought, okay, we might be able to get some sort of civility and order back in the place so that we stop making so many babies that are totally unnecessary. But babies now are a commodity, yeah? Um, just look at what they're doing to Aboriginal children. You know, the parents get what get a pizzly, meany, little tiny amount of money to raise their own children. But when they take it off them, the, the price doubles when they go to a to a foster family, you know, or adopted families. Um, and so Aboriginal children are a commodity of exchange right now. And... Um, and that's the reality of it. And um, unfortunately, we have evidence of Aboriginal um, controlled organisations that are assisting in, in removing children and are being paid an enormous amount of money to do it. And uh, they have lists of families. Um, you know, you know when, when police get called to you know, a home, you know, they, the police then do a, um, a journal and a report on the houses next to the place that they went to, if they got children, how many children in those places, where they work, if they work, no, they don't. Even the places behind, on the other side of the fence, behind the house, they do a report on the houses close by. Because, you see, those children are witnessing and hearing these fights going on and the so-called drinking and abusive and aggressive language that goes on and the aggressive mannerism of the people. And so those children are at risk according to modern-day society. And so they're subject to uh, to being forcibly removed as well for their own good and welfare. Those families have got no idea that they're being monitored like that, you know. And so 
uh, and then you have these Aboriginal um, organisations that are supposed to be looking after Aboriginal children uh, and the welfare of Aboriginal children are in fact working with the with the dominant society's um, child pe- child care people or whatever they call them, um, and uh, they're targeting these children for removal. And this is you know, this is shocking. You know, it's it's, um, it's a disgrace, and um, we have to do something about it. But like I say, if we're going to get back, we have to develop an educational strategy um, that incorporates Aboriginal teaching, Aboriginal knowledge, getting back to country, making people, students and children, we're both in the wider community, aware of the limitations of nature. Yeah? Nature has its limitations, and we're the ones that are ignoring it. And, um, and so modern society needs to address that that void of lack of knowledge of what nature can do and what nature can't do. It can only produce so much. Mm. Mm. Yep. Well, do you see much of this uh, beginning to happen? We, uh, the only thing we're trying to do right now I know a lot of communities um, want to take control, but per the um, I think what we need to do is to understand that um, that our, our our communities want to get control. Yeah, our elders want to get control, and um, and they want to take ownership of the destiny of their children and their future generations. Right now, we're being overridden by Western laws, and we have to abide by those rules. My cousin once said, "You know, we, I grew up in a, I grew up on the banks of river and stock routes and, and travelling and on pastoral properties. And I was lucky; I grew up with grandparents who knew the language and and stuff, and uh, and great and family who knew their culture. Um, and and the benefits that flowed to me was that I knew about nature." more about nature than the teachers who were trying to teach me at school about, you know, ecology and about society and how we inter- interact with that that uh, that world. And, um, and so um, we want to get back to being able to take control of our children. So I believe that a, a good pathway would be that... Um, to incorporate our elders going into the schools and take and chucking the kids in a bus and taking them out on a river or taking a bush and and teaching those kids and the white kids as well I think they would benefit from it to go out there and teach them about what what's out there and, and sit them on the river for a day just crayfishing or fishing because when you're sitting down there you're listening to stories as well so you're just not fishing yeah so it's it's just not a dumb practice that you're sitting there um, you're learning much more about the ecosystems and how it all works and how to bait the line and how to pull him in and what you've got to do, how you respect that fish when you catch it and how you kill it and how you clean it. So there's a respectful manner of looking after the dead that you, that you cause when you cause death. You have to, you have to um, um, respect that which you kill. If you have no respect for it, then you're, you're just a murderer. Yeah? You're, you're, you're a villain. And so... I think I think we need to get back, and our people just want the power to take control of our own destiny, take control of our own society and our children, and have total responsibility for that. And um, you put them in foreign areas, you put them into other families, other Aboriginal families, all you're creating is animosity. 
because then there's someone else who's looking after their kids and they and don't you worry that hurts big time it hurts more than people understand it's it's an ideal situation to make sure that they're with family yeah yes that that's very true but you've got to have a create create a system where that child has an interplay with its own parents and um and you don't separate it totally from its you know natural natural parents um there has to be that interaction and um so we we really need to go back to the drawing board and and develop a a strategy based on our culture based on the way we do things and um unless we get that responsibility and that control back um we can have a lot of problems mm-hmm. and in the in the past has it been has it been easy for um for white fellas to come in and and try and help i mean <laughs> i think there's a pretty checkered history of uh of white fellas sort of helping in inverted commas mm. um aboriginal folks um, can you think of any sort of pointers for people who are coming in and, and, and wanting to help out and what should they avoid I guess well I spoke earlier about you know the so-called white dregs who were pushed out and they ended up marrying into Aboriginal families yeah, and yeah, living with yeah. Aboriginal families you know those white men ended up fitting into our society yeah as much as um, they could but at the same time um, they assisted us in understanding how the whites think and so they were able to tell us what you know how to behave when a policeman comes or be careful of these fellows so they were they were giving us those warnings you know in terms of our society in general and of course they they taught us i know um from white people who were involved in my family who who you know just were describing you know how white people prioritize property and how they value property. So Aboriginal people have no idea about that, quite frankly, about the priorities and about the value of property. Yeah. And so um, so those white guys, they never left. They had family. But they contributed significantly to understanding the, the values in white society. We have, like I, I, I gave lectures, I wrote courses on this, about how... Um, in 1969, for example, in New South Wales, they opened the gates for Aboriginal people to walk out of the missions and go and live wherever they want and go and shop. But you see, they opened the gates. We had, we knew nothing about white society. We knew nothing about their value systems. We knew nothing about their priority and their, their attachment to property. Yeah, We had no concept of that. We had no concept of what money can do and the value of money. Yeah none because it was all regimented for us we we were supplied things we didn't have to do things you got out there and you worked for a white man you got a bit of money but you know the best thing that happened with money with our mob not buying clothes or or food we were sitting there and having a game of cards <laughs> yeah and and see who could amass the best yeah. yeah so so this understanding of of money and coinage we had no no concept of that yeah now come 69 after the referendum, three years after, uh, what is it, 69, 65, four, two years after the referendum, the gates were open, our people went out there. But here's the problem. Yeah? Our people knew nothing about those white people and that society, absolutely nothing. We were not prepared for it. And then on the other side, those white people who were about to be, you know, seedy black faces walking freely on the streets and getting out and about doing their own thing, they were not prepared either. 
because they knew nothing about us. And unfortunately, mm. we're still in that situation today. Yeah. And it's 2019. That's amazing. What's well, uh, a lovely insight to leave it on. Gilar, thank you very much for coming in. That was a, a really amazing conversation. Thank you very much for coming uh, in. Thanks for the conversation. Good on you.